here we are. Marketing trailblazers. You and I, Jess, warm fire going, ready for some fireside chats with CMOs and uh, marketing directors and all that. I guess we should tell people who we are. I'm Jeremy. <laughs> I'm Jess. This is usually how introductions go. I know why I'm doing the podcast. How, how did you get roped into doing the podcast? I don't really know. Hey. Um, <laughs> um, you had a meeting that I was not oh, in Oh, yes, yes. We and you all... talked about me behind my back. And then I was sarcastic about being a guest on your podcast one day because that's just so ridiculous. Why would I be a guest about marketing? And then... You asked me to be your co-host with Jazz Hands, if I remember correctly. I yes, I think um, I threw Jazz Hands in there. That was, and it worked. Uh, uh, a little begrudgingly, Probably but one, yeah. of, one of the few times I can say the Jazz Hands worked. <laughs> you have to know when to use them. No, we, we were we were sitting around and we we were all asking like, okay, who in the office would, would be awesome on a podcast? And I think everybody in the room, it may have just been one other person, was like. Ah, Jess, because <laughs> Jess is smart and witty and all those things that would make for a great podcast host. Very complimentary of you. Yeah, thanks. And so here we are. We're just we're jumping out. We're we got this mountain ahead of us of of doing a podcast that we hope will be like the most amazing marketing podcast that um, all of our listeners have ever heard. And we're ready to hit the trail. But first, while we're on the trail. I'm, I'm messing up the analogy a little bit. We're going to sit by a campfire mm-hmm. that Lance, our producer. Hey, Lance. Hey, guys. Lance doesn't get his own microphone yet. We're on a budget. Um, but it's coming. We're going to have one of those. Um, first, we're going to sit by this campfire and talk to CMOs. Um, and our first one that is uh, going to be here is Jackson Dickert, um, CMO for Campfire Technology. Um just what uh, what is Campfire Technology? Campfire Technology is a software to help write and create fantasy and sci-fi stories for authors, video game creators, RPGs, all that kind of stuff. It helps you organize and get things going. So we uh, got the chance to sit down with Jackson and talk a little bit about how um, he's grown as the CMO of, it's a really a startup software, um, a SaaS software, and um, how they've been able to use influencer marketing to, to help them grow. And also, he got to send his voice into space, um, like engraved on a, like a platinum disc or something and sent, sent to the moon. Isn't that right? I, I think the moon, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. So, without further ado. All right, so we have Jackson Dickert, CMO for Campfire Technology, up next. Let's get this fire blazing. Well, welcome to the campfire, Jackson. Pull up a log. Thank you very much for having me, Jeremy. Cool. So, Jackson, Campfire Technology, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and and where it came from and all that. Yeah, so uh, Campfire Technology is a fully bootstrapped um, company that I co-founded back in 2018. We sell writing and world-building organizational software. So we help uh, writers tell their stories. Um, so what's really cool about Campfire is, you know, you have a story like Game of Thrones that has, you know, dozens of characters who come in and out of the narrative. And um, 
Campfire helps you keep track of all the details. So you can put, you know, character name dates and their birthdays and their eye colors, you know, everything down to the finest minutia um, to help you write your story. So it makes it really easy for if, if you're wanting to reference something, the background or the characteristics of, of a particular person or a place, you you have you know exactly where to go to find it. And you don't have to scroll up through 100 pages of, of text that you've written. Yeah, that's exactly it, because there's nothing worse than knowing, I think I wrote something about this somewhere up above and then having to dig back through, you know, a 200 word manuscript or not 200 word, 200 page manuscript to try to find that detail. Right. So this helps you save a lot of time. While that you're... and the embarrassment of like reading your finished work. And, and seeing that they were blue-eyed at the beginning and then green-eyed. Oh, there's know, nothing worse. Two-thirds two of the way. Because you know, then in book two, I've got to figure out a way to retcon that. Be yeah. like, oh, yeah, they wear contacts. Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> magic happened. <laughs> Whatever it is. Well, and you yourself, uh, you are an author, right? And this, that's kind of how you stumbled uh, upon uh, um, the original technology. Or, or tell, tell, us how, tell us that story of you writing um, and some of the work you've done and uh, how you kind of came to be a part of the the campfire team yeah so uh i am an author i published a ya story about a bunch of teenagers at summer camp called the quest for the golden plunger um and so while i was writing i was happened to just be scrolling through reddit one day uh followed a bunch of different you know writing subreddits uh for like advice and tips and to find good resources and stumbled across this guy who had made this um you know, kind of beta version of the software he'd been working on for a month or two. And I was like, this looks really cool, but it's missing, you know, some stuff that writers need. And, um, you know, I thought that there were some ways that he could go about selling it better. Um, so I reached out to him and brought me on for two weeks and I did such a good job that ended up bringing me on full time and gave me equity in the company. So, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of it. So, um, What's really cool is, you know, we've been in business for about four and a half years now. I've probably met him in person less than 10 times. Um, he was uh, ended up being a 19-year-old uh, from Boston. And so I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, it's one of those crazy stories that shouldn't have worked, but it did. So. It, well, and it's it's kind of one of those proverbial startup SaaS sort of stories as well, where, you, you know, you... You never you never meet each other hardly, and, right. and it's just yeah, it's kind of all um, coming together um, in a in a bootstrap sort of way. It's pretty cool. So your your book, um, the quest for the golden plunger. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, it's about a bunch of uh, teenagers, and I guess they they go to summer camp and they're trying to win the golden plunger uh, by. Um, there's a couple like different tasks and things. There's like a this like paintball fight that they have to do, and uh, all kinds of other things. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of the, the crux of it. It's it's a humorous YA novel with some scatological humor in there, so it's kind of perfect for uh, teenage boys. I, guess. I love scatological humor. God, me How about too. you, Jess? I have no idea what that means. Scatological humor? No. Like, like poop jokes. It's poop jokes. Oh. Oh, well, okay. That makes sense why I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's – and it's fun that you you actually yourself were – you're an Eagle Scout, right? Yeah. So yeah. – uh, when I first started trying to write, I wanted to write a fantasy novel, um, a la Brandon Sanderson, George R. R. Martin, or Tolkien. And um, 
it did not go well. It did not go well at all. So I ended up writing something a little closer to home that I felt like I knew a lot better than some far off fantasy world. Oh, and and just so everyone is, we did not know Jackson was an Eagle Scout before um, eager to do this podcast, and so I just think it, it plays well into the marketing trailblazers and the mountain conquering, all of that. So that that's kind of fun. What was your uh, Eagle Scout project? So I built a um, what do I call it? It's uh, sort of like a open shed i guess is like a shed without walls uh for uh like a the carport? track team mm, not quite because it had like shelves on it uh for the track team to put their um poles on uh for uh, pole jumping because they were having a problem where you know it would rain and get really wet at uh is at my high school hardin valley academy um, and so they're having a problem where, you know, it would rain and their poles would get wet and then they would fall off whenever they trained <laughs> in the rain. So it helps keep the poles dry. So <laughs> Sounds like you that may have been like a life-saving project as well. You know, I, I didn't want to come right out and say that. But, you know, uh, off the record, I have probably saved upwards of 400 uh, lives wow. through that it's, effort. It's, it's, a, it's oh, an honor. teenage high school boys, right. too. Yeah. Well, boys the and girls. The youth of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the youth of they, America. They owe you their life and they should buy a copy of your book just, right just for that absolutely and 10 percent of all earnings yes yeah for the rest of their life yeah. you know <laughs> that would be the right thing to do the yeah the only thing morally morally obligated they should do it cool um all right so and you you've also not only authored you've also had uh, kind of a youtube career as well um 1800 videos or over 1800 videos on youtube as a gamer yeah i did uh let's plays throughout uh middle school and high school. Uh, and then when I started college, um, I didn't, uh, wasn't able to kind of keep that up so much. But part of that was also because, um, you know, early on it was when Skyrim had first come out and I was really interested in the lore of that more than even the game itself. So I made a lot of videos talking about the uh, the lore and those really did really well. I, I uh, was very fortunate in, for that, especially because at the time, you know, I was like 14. I didn't know you could do multiple takes or, you know, go oh. back and edit out your, <laughs> your stutters or, you know, whatever. So they weren't the best videos, but um, thankfully the, the information was good and the, the topic was very popular. So, uh, and it was kind of before like Johnson and Johnson and Coke uh, had pulled out of YouTube. So the ad money was Fantastic. Well, and you were you were in a real sense kind of learning from the the ground floor how to use these platforms and and the power of them. Absolutely, because uh, I mean nothing blew my mind like you know the day I woke up and I had half a million views on a video and that just boggled my mind. I was you know I was like wow you know this could actually like take me places. That's awesome. That's awesome. So fast forward, you're at uh, you're at campfire. Um, you guys have uh, a little over fifty thousand monthly users now, um, which is pretty incredible. I mean, for a company that's been been you know within four or five years um, in a very niche market. Um, so, tell us how how did you guys get there? What were some of the the marketing um, tactics you've used, and and how have you have you helped grow the company to where it's at now? Yeah, so uh, you know, in that first week or so, we tried a couple of you know a lot of different stuff. Really, uh, we were trying Facebook ads, you know. <clears throat> When you go Google how to market, uh, these are the things that come up, right? And they're not all necessarily the best ideas. Um, and the thing that ended up working and really launching things and getting us off the ground was influencer marketing. Um, and that wasn't something that I had read on any blog post on Google or anything. That was just from my own knowledge of, wow, you know, uh, if you 
go to the right sources to promote, um, you know, your your product or whatever, you can reach a lot more people. And it comes from a trusted source, right? It's not just some banner ad or, you know, something like that. Um, so it carries a lot more weight to it, the recommendation does. So we ended up going through influencers, and that is how we grew the company to what it is today for the most part. So for anybody that's listening that thinks that influencer marketing is – um, a lot of BS. I was in that boat for a while. Every, anytime I would see someone on TikTok or Facebook and they would be pitching a uh, product, I would automatically kind of distrust them a little bit. Um, but after talking to several folks and then after seeing seeing and hearing about um, the effectiveness of them, um, I heard from from our team and from other folks that that, yes, they see people that they trust that they follow on on different platforms um, talking about a product. And, and they automatically say, okay, yes, I'm interested in this product. And that's paid off for you all. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, basically how we've, we've grown the business. And we've, we've uh, done influencers of all different sizes, too. Like, we've probably, the smallest people we've sponsored have had a couple thousand subscribers and all the way up to, I think, the, maybe the biggest is a million subscribers on YouTube. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, and we do primarily do YouTube um, influencers. We've tried podcasts before, and they don't do as well for us, I think, because Campfire is very visual software. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot of, like, panels and um, images. It's it's You kind of have to see it to really be able to understand it because to someone um, who doesn't know what it is, it's like, okay, it sounds like a fancy word processor, but it's so much more than that. Um, so podcasts have never really done well for us, but um, YouTube um Integrated mentions is mainly where we're here to prove you wrong today. Yeah. So if you're if you're listening and you even have the 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 interest in writing, go check out Campfire and say yeah. that you heard about it here. Just joking. Um, so to, to so I, I have a feeling that a lot of this is a fairly new tactic when in the in the broad history of marketing, influencer marketing in this sense um, is is somewhat new, and not a lot of people have the nuts and bolts experience. Uh, with it, so kind of walk us through what that looks like. Like, how do you how do you approach an, uh, an influencer, or how do you even find an influencer that that would work well for your brand? And then, how do you approach them, and and what's that look like? Yeah. So one thing that was really fortunate for me was um, <clears throat> prior to starting Campfire, uh, I had been watching a lot of YouTube in this space to begin with. I've been watching um, college lecturers, you know, discussing how to write good fiction all the way to like teenagers just sitting in their room talking about I like this book or I don't like this one for these reasons just you know totally I was already immersed in this uh, community Um, and that's an important part I think of choosing influencers you know you can always just go on on Google or you know YouTube and just you know search a term that's related to your product and then watch videos of what comes up but you have to go a little bit more in depth than that, I think. Uh, I think it's good to watch a couple of their videos, get a feel for who this person is, um, and then also make sure the rest of their content aligns. You know, maybe they did one video about, you know, writing and the rest they talk about comic books. Well, comic books has stories in it, um, but the people who want to read and uh, maybe even make comic books, Campfire wouldn't necessarily be our primary demographic. So <clears throat> I would say... You know, go to YouTube, try to find something that's a good fit. Um, And then as far as outreach, what's great about YouTube is um, on the about section of their channel, um, there's a um, little 
hidden email address and you have to fill out a little captcha to to get access to it and not every channel has this it's up to the influencer whether or not it's there but you fill that out and boom you've got their email the the thing that drives me most nuts about like influencers who are trying to you know grow or get sponsorships or whatever is not being able to find their email they don't have a website they don't have a youtube channel it's like i'm trying to get in touch with you and it's so hard if you don't have your email right there um, so then I'll send them an email, just, you know, reach out, kind of give a overview. I'll, I'll usually personalize them pretty well, you know, talk about specific videos of theirs that I watched and the things that I specifically like about it that I think will make it a good fit. Um, I think personalization is really important because you have to understand these influencers are getting hundreds of emails per week, um, from pe- from everything from scams to you know genuine people who are interested in promoting their products to just you know fans who just you know want to get in touch with them um so you have to be genuine and you have to personalize it to be able to you know get across uh to them that you're not just another one of these scam artists i guess mm. um so then i'll kind of give a little pitch about like what our product is and um tell them you know I'm interested in a paid sponsorship because there's also this big trend in influencers where um, companies just want to send them something for free and expect a 20 minute video about that. And that's just not how it works. That doesn't pay the bills. No, no. Yeah. And th- these people are, are uh, legitimately trying to make a living doing this in, in well, the ones that are worth pitching to, I'm guessing are, this is like they're, they're living. Yeah. A lot of them that are doing this for a living. And uh, that, I mean, that's the main thing, unless you're reaching out to really small people. Um, a lot of them are already doing it for a living and they don't necessarily need your money to keep doing it for a living. They've got Patreon, they've got YouTube ads, and they've got no shortage of other sponsors that they can go with. Hmm. So how do you determine what's, what's that value? Um, and, and do they come to you and say, this is my price or do you, uh, do you offer them a price? How does that work? So a lot of times, uh, if it's you know kind of a seasoned influencer, influencer they'll have a price already kind of set, um, and then it's up to you to decide does this make sense for us or not. And for that, you just kind of have to look at you know um, your CPA and your um, lifetime value of a customer, and you have to kind of evaluate does this make sense or not. Um, there's this. Because as you say, this is a you know kind of recent and emerging landscape uh, for marketing, but it's already changing a lot. Um, I've already seen people go from setting their prices based on the number of subscribers, which is silly. You should never do that because subscribers is just a vanity metric. Um, to a lot of people nowadays, set their prices based on views. Um, this is still pretty commonplace, but I. And I'm kind of on the, the I guess, um, newer edge of this. I think that's also a bit silly. Um, it's fine for the first one. Um, but it, at the end of the day, views are sort of also a vanity metric. Um, so the thing that makes the most sense is to do it based on CPA. And how do... How do uh is that something you can measure beforehand or get an idea of beforehand? And that's see, and that's where it gets a little tricky. Um, with you know, unless you, unless the influencer has some idea of of you know how many people might take that action, unless you have some idea, it is tricky. So a lot of times we've uh, on, we've sort of figured out you know about a twenty dollars CPM is safe for us to do a sponsorship. 
So a lot of times for that first sponsorship, we'll um, reach out and offer like a $20 CPM, um, usually with a minimum and with a maximum. That way, you know, if the video flops for whatever reason, influencer still gets paid for their hard work. And if it goes viral, we're not on the hook for a million dollars. Sure. Um, and so we'll pay based on that. Uh, and then with the data from that, we'll, we can kind of go back and, you know, lay it out to the influencer. And this is where, you know, I guess we're a little different on the cutting edge. Uh, a lot of companies don't want to share whatever data they have with the influencer, right? Because the data at the end of the day is power. Um, and this is, like I said, the the emerging, uh, the, the, the changing landscape, because these influencers, they don't necessarily, especially the big ones, they don't need your money. They are, they have gone beyond just being an individual and they're a brand on their own. Um, they can make their own products and sell those to their audience. And a lot of times they can make more money doing that than um, selling your product. So it's, I think it's important to share that data with um, influencers so they can see, you know, how much, uh, like what what are they driving for your company, and they also understand, of course, that you need to make a profit. Um, you know, industry standard is something like um, you know a return of three times whatever you're paying them. Um, so they understand you need to be making a profit too. But um, it's important that they know that they're being um, compensated fairly for the work that they're doing. For you all, twenty dollars CPM um, is what you're shooting for, which is. Honestly, when you think about the world of, of advertising, that's a not a bad deal f- for uh, an authoritative voice on video promoting your product. Right. I mean, a, lo- a lot of the like, you know, little, you know, what, you know, influencer marketing, you know, there's all these blogs and they have no idea what they're talking about or articles talking, you know, with no idea what they're talking about. And a lot of them recommend 30. And, you know, 30 is appropriate for for some, you know, in some topics. It's the same way, you know, if you're running um, a cost per click campaign, you know, uh, one click for a lawyer is going to be 50 bucks or for a psychic, it'll be 80 bucks. You know, but then unfortunately, we've never had to we've never gotten to market for a psychic. But if there are any listening, that's on the list. Yeah. 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 List of clients right there. They're expensive (laughs) uh, to run ads on. But, uh, you know, for something else, you know, a lot of other stuff, it's like, you know, cost per click is a dollar or something. So um, it sort of just depends. But, uh, you know, CPM of 20 to 30 dollars is probably fair, especially for, you know, establishing, um, you know, what the performance might be. That's a lot going on. Yeah. That's a lot to keep up with. That's a lot of moving pieces. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So do you have, how big is your team to keep up with everything, like as far as keeping up with your software itself and keeping up with all of that stuff too? Yeah, so I think right now our team, uh, let's say we've got a UI UX designer. We've got um, an artist who also helps with the in-house editing. Um, And then we've got... um, Two developers and our CEO also does some developing. So that's five right there. And then we've got um, me and um, a girl who does social media. So right now we've got uh, seven employees and we're looking to add more here relatively soon. Um, yeah. And that's, that's uh, I'm kind of a one man band on the, on the marketing side, but I've yeah. got help from the uh, social media, thankfully. That's cool. That's good that you're not like completely doing it all yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
she is extremely helpful, especially with the things that I'm not good at, you know, as far mm-hmm. as like uh, graphic design and things yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, so I really lean on her for that sort of thing. More of the visual. Yeah. That's cool. Because it is a very like, I fully see how the visual side of it is very beneficial. Yeah, that's really important yeah. for the influencer stuff, especially. Um We'll a lot of times we'll give the influencers sort of like a couple different options. We'll give them like a script, like you know, a suggested script, and let them make tweaks to it because I think that's really important. Uh, if you send an influencer a script, you know, a sixty-second script, and you give them no wiggle room on it, it's just going to read like somebody from this company wrote it. Yeah, they know their audience better than you do, so it's important to let them kind of take the reins a little bit there but a lot of times we'll also send them like a 60 second sort of trailer video that shows mm-hmm. off features for them to edit around or um we'll also send screenshots because since campfire is so cool like cool and visual mm-hmm. um we have great screenshots that's cool that's I, w- I can also see how like trusting someone you don't know to explain your product well and effectively and sell it would be potentially challenging yeah, and that's why, um, like, for our, you know, standard contract, and this is also just pretty standard in the industry, is I get to review the spot before mm-hmm. um, it actually goes live because, you know, I've been sent some previews that uh, I'll have I'll have influencers that I've never worked with before, and they'll nail it their first time. Great, no notes. And I'll have, you know, some people come back and, you know, what they've done, it's like clear they they mm-hmm. don't understand the product. They don't understand what, you know, what they're even pitching to their own audience right now, oh, which is a travesty because it's, you know, their brand. They should do their research and figure out, you know, is this a good fit for my brand? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. How, do you use any sort of uh, like software to keep track of, of like the the in- which influencers are good, where they're at with certain things, all that sort of stuff. So let's see. Um, for our analytics, we use Retool. It's like um, built in. I, th- I think it, it took some uh, dev finagling, you know, black magic computer science things to get it all set up. Um, but we've got a couple really cool dashboards on there that are directly linked up to, you know, sales and things like that. So we can really quickly get uh, analytics on, um, you know, how everything is doing. And uh, at the end of every month, we'll write up or, or at the beginning of each month, rather, we'll write up a report on, um, you know, what is working, what didn't, what are we going to keep doing? What are we what's not worth keep doing? That sort of thing. How so in in. Some senses, it seems like influencer marketing is almost like a new version of celebrity endorsements. How is it like that, and how isn't it like that? Yeah, so uh, that's also you know why I think a lot of times influencers they you know, they start as a creator and then sort of get into become an influencer, and then a lot of times they'll sort of become their own brand. Um, and so. In a lot of ways, it very much is like a celebrity endorsement, depending on, you know, the size. Um, but, um, you know, with smaller creators, since they don't have as much reach a lot of that time, instead of doing like a 60-second ad, we'll do like a dedicated video. And those are much more expensive, obviously, generally. Uh, but, you know, with someone who has like a million subscribers, for them to just make 20-minute video about just your product would be absurdly expensive. But for someone who only has a couple thousand, having uh, a couple of these, you know, 20-minute videos that are, are right there available for people who are interested in your product that come up when they search you on YouTube is fantastic. 
What is your favorite part about what you do? My favorite part about what I do has got to be the people. Um, at the end of the day, like I'm such an extroverted person. I love the people um, getting to work with, you know, some of the really talented and passionate influencers that I get to talk to and also, you know, authors and sometimes publishers. Um, it's so much fun to get to work with other people who are really passionate about what they do and like in the niche that I am also most interested in um, is so much fun. It's so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're working, since you're on the marketing side, you're working more with the influencers and less of actual users? So Or kind of both? Yeah, I would say I'm more on the um, influencer side. And the uh, Amanda, who helps out with the social media, she mm-hmm. uh, is a good bit more hands-on with uh, the users themselves. And will collect like uh, survey data and respond on socials and things like cool. that. Cool. How many users do you all have right now? So I think the total number is like over 200,000. But then, you know, monthly users is something more like 50,000 per month. It's a lot to keep up with, for sure. It definitely is. Yeah. It definitely is. Cool. How, what has kind of been your trajectory? Has that, have you really exploded more recently? Has it been a steady climb? Was it a lot up front? Yeah. So um, when we started out, we had this initial software and it was called Campfire Pro and it was a one-time purchase downloadable software. Um, it had a lot of problems. Uh, our CEO who coded it, uh, you know, was still an undergrad at the time and so wasn't, you know, like a master coder, computer right, science right. guy. So it had a lot of just um, like we, the way we put it is the skeleton wasn't great. Uh, and so while it did what it needed to do uh, at first, um, it, we quickly grew out of it. So really early on, we saw some explosive growth from influencers, which was awesome. And then um, we continued to see that well into COVID because, you know, everybody stayed home and they wanted to write novels. So that was a really awesome time for us. But pretty quickly, we realized we're going to need to develop um, something better than this so that way we can keep adding things that people want because campfire pro it couldn't have a manuscript it couldn't have language support you know all this different stuff so we started developing a web app um, on campfirewriting.com and um, that does a lot of the things that campfire pro did just all of them better and with a lot more flexibility where we can develop it faster and so we're really excited about that and um, one thing that the web app has that the um, downloadable app didn't is uh, it's got a subscription um, option for the pricing um, so you can get it for a lifetime or as a subscription and so what's really been nice about that is it's a little bit of pressure off of me doing marketing just mm-hmm. knowing that we have a certain number of MRR that's you know monthly recurring revenue that's coming in every month that I don't have to worry about you know making a certain number of sales so yeah. everybody gets paid um, so that's one thing that I really love about it is, is the subscriptions. And then moving forward, we're um, kind of going to be, um, we call it, we're going to add another moat to our uh, software. And um, we're going to have a marketplace for people who want to like buy books. Cool. Um, so the people who make books with our software can sell them too. Cool, cool. Um, what, how soon is that happening? Like, is that a now thing or is that in the next few years? So right now, we've, we've actually got the side of our website where you can publish um, your stories. That's already live. But this year, uh, in October, we're going to add monetization. Um, so 
sort of there's a couple things up in the air with uh, exactly how fast and how uh, aggressively we're going to do that. Um, But yeah, it'll be at least this year. Cool. So people will be able to go straight from writing a story to publishing it and getting it out there and and within a few clicks. Yeah, right right on Campfire. And it's powerful. It is. And and the things that we're really excited about is um, we're – so first of all, you know, Amazon, you can only publish the book. You can't publish your world building and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, in this day and age with fantasy, huge fantasy authors like Brandon Sanderson, right? Um, if people could go read his world building or his character profiles, they would. They absolutely would. Um, and so that's kind of the idea here is people can also sell their world building as like an add-on to the book. Um, and on top of that, we're giving 80% royalties, um, which is – the most aggressive that's, that's unheard of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for publishing, especially, you know, Audible gives uh, 25% royalties if you take your audiobook wide and publish on other platforms. And they give mm. you 40% if you only publish on Audible. So hmm. um, we hope to add audiobook support too and just kind of, you know, blow cool. Amazon out of the water. Yeah. So y'all are like, Campfire publishing for the people. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're, you, can, you can use that tagline if you want to. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to write that down, actually. Yeah. Uh, um, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so you, in, in talking before the podcast and, and even hearing some of your stories now, you definitely have an excitement for this product. Like you, you've personally benefited from it. You've used it. You love it. Um, how has that influenced how you market it? Um, and what would you say to people who are maybe in a position that where they're marketing something that they don't really enjoy or care about? Yeah, so I, it is such a blessing to be able to, you know, work in a space that I'm really passionate and excited about. Um, if you're working in a space where you don't, I'd say, you know, anything you can find, um, I guess the, the silver lining, whether it's the, the product itself or just knowing that you're doing something that people are enjoying and that it helps them in some way. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that's what's most important to me. If we were making a writing software that, you know, people didn't like or, you know, that had no benefit, it wouldn't be nearly as rewarding. But we hear all the time from people, you know, how helpful it is to them in their in their process. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Because yeah. even as, like, I am not a writer in the slightest, but I think seeing the world-building side of, like, a book or a story I really like would be really, really cool. And that's what we're hoping. We're hoping yeah. that, you know, people will be interested in that sort yeah. of thing for the stories they really love. Yeah, because, I mean, I know there are some that I love that I won't name names, but they're notoriously not great with their story building, and they've got a huge book series, and I'd it, it's a bummer when things don't line up. So actually, like, seeing it broken down, I think, would be really, really cool. Yeah. Can can users then go on and – or the, the readers go on and – could this help spur um, fan fiction on as well? So um, fan fiction is actually uh, an interesting area because we don't want to deal with all the legal, you know, mm-hmm. issues of using, of you know, allowing users to use other IPs and things like that. So right now uh, there's no fan fiction actually allowed on Campfire and, you know, you can't use any copyrighted images or anything like that. So um, probably smart. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, at least at least in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you do you do have the um, the ebook publishing uh, platform coming out, and you've got a couple of big author sponsorships slash publish publishing deals coming out as well, right? You know, <laughs> do you want to tell a little bit about those. 
Yeah, so um, this uh, August, we're actually going to be publishing best-selling author Anne Christie, um, and it, her book is called The Never-Ending End of the World. It comes out August 8th, and um, it's a it's a speculative sci-fi novel, uh, kind of about the end of the world. And it's uh, what's really cool about it is a really unusual apocalypse. Um, it's not like, you know, fire and brimstone or whatever. It's um, one day time just stops and people are caught in loops of time um, doing the same thing for a few seconds, minutes, hours. Um, and that would be horrible. Yes. Yeah, like like Groundhog Day. Well, yeah. and so she wrote it during COVID. Oh, where it all, appropriate. Yeah, where it all felt like we were all doing the same thing every day and there wasn't much spice or variety mm-hmm. to life. Um, but if you interact with one of these people stuck in loops, they kind of go crazy and attack you. So it's got this zombie aspect to the novel, but it's not a zombie novel and it's very thoughtful and contemplative. So we're really excited about that one. And one of the one of the the, the uh, activities you got going on with Anne Christie is the the lunar um, the lunar deal, right? Something something's kind of going skyrocketing, right? Going up into outer space. Yeah, the lunar codex. Uh, <laughs> lunar, I, I knew it was. I couldn't remember the name of it. Lunar codex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was founded by uh, Samuel Peralta. Uh, he's really cool. Uh, he's a, a best-selling author, and he actually won an Emmy. Uh, for for his work, uh, some of his work appears in uh, Netflix's Love, Death, Robots. If anybody's seen that, so it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Anne's book is going to be going to the moon, I believe, next spring, and then um, I'll actually have a short story going with um, Anne's audiobook next uh, in next fall. So uh, very exciting. Campfire that, goes to the moon. That's huge. Yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah. Like you are, you you can get your book here and at a moon near you. Exactly. All right. Aliens are going to hear my voice, and that's something I'm so excited about. Yeah, because it's a, is it an audio? It's like an audio encoding of your book. Is that is that the the deal? Yeah. So to be honest with you, I don't even know exactly how they do it. I somebody Science. yeah somebody told me something about laser etching on gold discs or something. So you know, aliens could read it millions of years from now. So I so don't. We gotta hope they like it. Yeah, that'd yeah. be good. Yeah, hopefully so. We don't need a Mars attacks. Right. Well, we probably I mean, won't be here by the time they find it. Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, not me and you. Millions of years from now. I don't want to live that long. <laughs> Well, Jackson, thank you so much for for being on the inaugural uh, uh, podcast for tro- uh, marketing trailblazers. <clears throat> um, it was exciting, good stories, good info about uh, influencers, mm-hmm. and we appreciate you. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me. It was awesome. Marketing Trailblazers with Jeremy Leduc and Jess Tackett is produced by me, Lance Pettiford, co-produced by Kaylee Eastep. Graphic and web design by Will Lunsford and guest support provided by Kaylee Swaggerty. Marketing Trailblazers is a production of Epic Nine Marketing Outfitters, helping ambitious brands grow since 2014. If you are a CMO looking to conquer some mountains, or you need a CMO to help get you to the top, then contact Epic Nine and get started with a base camp consultation at epicnine.com. Want more great content to help fuel your marketing adventures? Sign up for exclusive content and get early access to our Marketing Mountain School content at marketingtrailblazers.com.